Um, eventually, these tensions between East and West would culminate in the Cuban Missile Crisis, uh, which in the Soviet Union is referred to as the Caribbean Crisis. Um, this would begin in October of 1962. That just, as the, see, that's not as effective as the Cuban Missile. The Caribbean Crisis sounds like some bad shit that happens on vacation, you know? But, like, the Cuban <laughs> Missile Crisis really gives it to you, you know? Yeah, when your sister, she got her hair braided and she bought all those joints. It was a real Caribbean crisis. <laughs> Total crisis for the whole family. Welcome back to the Trilateral Troika. This is Steve, along with the other Steve. Hi, everyone. I'm doing okay. <laughs> <laughs> and Ryan. That's brisk, baby. <laughs> Hey, you know what was every once in a while one of those Lipton brisk cans was just the most refreshing shit ever. You it was just that? ah, just chef's yeah. kiss every oh, now and then. It wet your willy. I mean, it was just the best thing ever. You know, it was one of those things where you could chug the entire can you without could, yeah, a you could do the second hesitation. Carbonation, be damned if, if there, <laughs> I, you could just go, dude. Just, Wait, your Lipton brisk was carbonated? Just lemon tea. Uh, High fructose corn maybe syrup. I'm misremembering. No, I don't think it was. It no, it was just. It was like. I think he just like expected it, maybe in my memory, but yeah, maybe. it wasn't carbonated, was it? Because the the Lipton tea that I have right but now I can in front of me is alcoholic it. Lipton tea, and it's not carbonated. Uh, I that I do not recommend. I'm, a, I'm afraid. I don't recommend chugging that. Uh, that that's probably a mistake. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not 20 anymore. <laughs> I can't do. I know, right? <laughs> Guys, put your seatbelt on before you chug this lifting. <laughs> I gotta stretch before I get out of bed in the morning. That's how I know I'm old now. Dude, have I to do, have to do your exercises. Have to like put some marbles in your mouth, you know, to get ready. <laughs> I'm gonna put yeah. my slippers on before I walk across la, the house. La, 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 la. Okay, I'm good. I uh... gotta smoke to open your T zone. <laughs> Yeah, dude, I was freezing my ass off, and I just did, like, a quick 20-minute uh, mace and um, Indian club workout. I'm feeling good now, boys. Oh, I thought you were going to say mace and puff daddy. No. <laughs> <laughs> What's the mace and puff daddy workout? Well, I put on a whole well, bunch of throwback you, jams. Uh, that's where one of you uh, likes young boys and the other one's a preacher. So. Oh, my God. <laughs> allegedly. 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 Let's, let's throw that out there. Yeah. Allegedly. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So anyway, speaking we're gonna get sued of, by uh, Mace, a complete yeah, we're, non-entity. We get sued by Mace. He's a Christian. He'll forgive us. <laughs> God's plan. God's plan. Yeah, man. Uh, by the way, boys, I don't know if you, you saw the, our most recent review of the podcast. No, I didn't. Oh, I gotta go look. I want you to read it. Is it on iTunes? Yeah, it's on iTunes. Just go ahead and read it out loud. Okay, I'll, I'll read it out loud. Who's <laughs> waiting on this? Oh boy! All right. Read the username first. Read the username first. Oh god. Yeah. Four point three right. out of five boys. Don Vito Fungal. <laughs> Don Vito Fungal. Top slobs. <laughs> okay. So listen. <laughs> Alright. Don Vito Fungal. He says top slobs. This show is the greatest historical podcast ever. I can't determine which episode I like, but 
I can't determine which episode I like the best. It's kind of like watching two invisible dogs fight. You're rooting for both the dogs, but you're never going to know which one wins. <laughs> from, uh, from a very important listener of ours, put that up there. Oh, God. <laughs> anyway. Communism. Nikita. Yes. What a cool So name. today, we'll be talking about the... Um, foreign policy of Nikita Khrushchev, probably what he's mostly known for outside of his reforms in the Soviet Union, and also his downfall. Uh-oh. Um, so, as far as foreign policy goes, a lot of what Khrushchev learned about it came uh, from the period of 1950 to 1953, uh, when he was within the inner circle of Stalin, and he and the rest of the inner circle were closely uh, observing and evaluating Stalin's foreign policy. Um, uh, one thing that Khrushchev found to be a, a mistake on Stalin's part was the the Cold War. Um, he w- he didn't think it was necessary. He wasn't a fan of it. He didn't think that um, essentially that the communist world and the uh, Western world need to be in conflict. Khrushchev didn't. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a little short-sighted. He he uh, he mainly uh, didn't like this because it essentially created a um, a, a militarized uh, struggle. Uh, between the Soviet Union and its allies and NATO, um, which was, uh, you know, a very strong coalition of nations. And so even back um, then, he was like, this is not a good idea. Well, we, uh, because he saw it as being, like, unnecessary, and then also it was very expensive for the Soviet Union. Because um, you have to remember that the Soviet Union, just like the United States, is paying a lot of money for all this on top of um, something that really starts during uh, his period, and I, I guess a little bit under Stalin, but since Stalin died so early into it, is that the Soviet Union is kind of like, uh, kind of like being welfare for most of the communist countries in the world? Um, that they're all getting like money and aid from the Soviet Union. They're all getting trade. You know, there was there was an anecdote I was told about how um, there there was a period in like the in the Warsaw Pact that uh, people were really tired of uh, pineapples because of uh, trade with Cuba because Cuba didn't have much to trade. And the only thing they had for that that like period of time was like pineapples. So they were like putting pineapples in yogurt and everything. So it was just like that's fucking delicious. I hope they put it on their pizza too. Oh, uh, they don't got they don't got no pizza there, Ryan. I'm There's sorry. No pizza in Russia? I'm sure. Well, I'm sure. Well, well, that's why that's why Gorbachev brought in Pizza Hut because he was just like uh, he's like he's like yeah, more, this is the best. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Billiard. This is so billiard and good. <laughs> Can you imagine one of the people in Russia being like Pizza Hut, bro? You couldn't get Domino's. <laughs> Just being like, bro, you did thirty seconds ago. You didn't even know what the fuck pizza was, and now you're complaining <laughs> this is Pizza Hut instead of Domino's. Yeah, that's sad. that's the pizza the complaint pipeline. You know, that's it's a short stop. <laughs> you know, you're there for a moment before you got opinions. That's it. Um, one of the things that he felt that it um, that it hurt was sort of um, uh, sort of the Soviet Union sort of uh, developing relationship with neutral nations within the world um, because they were always at odds with the United States that it became a sort of like an us versus them that if they were to come into a relationship with a country um, it would bring that country into conflict with the United States and vice versa. Okay, um, and so it also weakened their relationship with. Their um uh, the Warsaw the nations of the Warsaw Pact because 
Um, the Soviet Union has to remain militarized because it has to worry about the threat of like NATO invasion of like the United States or or whoever deciding that they're going to you know go to war with the Soviet Union. Right. Um, and because of that as well, um, the Soviet Union is not really keen on letting the nations of Eastern Europe really control their own destiny because you know um, because of this state of conflict exists that uh, much like domino theory for the United States. Um, Similarly for them, you know, that if reforms begin to happen in these countries, it could lead to them, you know, uh, leaving the Soviet sphere of influence, and that would leave the Soviet Union weakened or possibly, um, you know, um, uh, uh, give them a weakness that could be exploited. That's not the domino theory I heard of. The domino theory I heard of was that pineapples do go on pizza and that their marinara sauce is made with something different. I don't know what it is. I think they put sugar in there. It's disgusting. Domino sugar. That's what it is. Yeah, D- Domino's definitely does put sugar in How there. How deep Domino's does this sugar. go? How fucking who who knew it? Who knew about this? Yeah, with with through the looking glass. Yeah. Um, so Khrushchev though is a lot more uh, optimistic as well about the future than Stalin or, for instance, Bolotov were, um, and he was a lot more of an internationalist. Um, Stalin was a big fan of of a policy that he sort of uh, coined and put into practice called uh, socialism in one country, where essentially that the Soviet Union would focus on developing communism within the Soviet Union, and then once that was achieved, it would export it to the world. Um, Khrushchev saw more that um, that that socialism in its sort of natural um, sort of uh, path that it goes in that um, that uh, a tide lifts all boats. Um, so if they branched out to other countries, you know, they expanded um, and they they helped other communist nations that they could work together in order to achieve communism. It seems like that would be the abject correct way to go. Um, so that's essentially what he believes. Um, Stalin is, uh, is obviously, you know, a lot more cynical in that. Um, and because he believed, like I said, that all the all the peoples of the world, that they could work together and achieve communism. Um, and that the Cold War itself was just a diversion from that. Um, so instead, he sort of endorses uh, an idea of peaceful coexistence um, and, and sort of like going back to the roots of the Soviet Union. Initially, very early on in the Soviet Union, Lenin had kind of endorsed this, that, you know, that they weren't going to bother with international conflicts. You know, that was until, you know, the Western world decided to, like, invade and, like, uh, try to brutally suppress the Bolsheviks, and they then they decide like, yeah, that that's probably not going to work out for us. Yeah, we're going to send nukes to Cuba. <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> what's that's his the, uh... what's his policy like? Well, his policy is summed up in three words: nukes to Cuba. <laughs> uh, you know what? I like it. Let's vote for him. His policy is: I'm going to threaten at this point in time one of the strongest nations in the world with nukes 90 miles from them. <laughs> this is no way going to go badly. Look, we'll we'll I mean, talk about that. Sometimes you got to do it, you know. Sometimes you pick the. It's like being in jail. World politics, you know. You got to pick the biggest, toughest looking guy in the room and just punch him right in the dick, you know. Right. The Cuban Missile Crisis always fascinated me because it was like what, like a week, if that, like if that, and it was just the whole world could have ended if one of these dudes blinked. It is amazing. Like we know for a fact that they had them ninety miles from Key West. Well, you know, there was yeah, always well, a chance that well, the nukes had been. 
you know, they were expired or something. Yeah, and I mean, it is always off. a chance well, it wouldn't we'll, work, but we'll, also, we'll get to that. At the we'll, same we'll time, you that. know that they might have, and that's the I problem. Was, I was super joking. <laughs> no, but like, it's, 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 it's Russia. There's the no president? way that we know well, that it would They only have expired nukes. Well, does, what well, does that well, do? Well, that makes them more powerful. Because <laughs> oh, then the whole nuke just falls on you <laughs> instead of exploding. Oh, fuck. <laughs> It's like wine, sir. They get better with age. <laughs> this is a 1930 Chateau nuke. Radioactive isotopes do not decay, sir. <laughs> God damn. Sir, I'd like you to point you to this chart. We can see that this uranium has been sitting in a uranium cellar for the last 15 years. That has aged it quite nicely. <laughs> when I say uranium cellar, I mean my cousin's uh, basement in Queens. Oh, my God. Um. So Stalin believe, or I should say, Khrushchev believes that Stalin is is wrong in sort of his practices, and believes that if the communist world can sort of build up their economies and their standards of living, that they can eventually win, you know, peaceful victory over uh, over capitalism. You know, as communism is shown to be the superior form of governance, that more countries will adopt it and its policies, and that eventually this will lead to like essentially world peace and a communist utopia. Man, they fucked up in several levels then. multiple times Um, um, he also disagreed with how Stalin handled uh, such things in foreign policy such as initially um, Stalin was very heavy handed in dealing with Turkey um, and Iran in 1945 or Turkey in 1945 and Iran in 1946 um, and also in putting pressure on uh, Berlin in 1948 which led to the Berlin blockade you know where the Berlin airlift happens where essentially Stalin tried to starve out uh, Berlin uh, or West Berlin, um, in order to uh, to have it like essentially surrender it to the east, right? Um, but then our boys would, decided to airdrop it or fly in supplies and say, yes. "Fuck you, Stalin." <laughs> um, Khrushchev was also happy when Malenkov initially uh, replaces Stalin in 1953 and uh, spoke about improving relations with the West um, and also building up communist party movements. Um, in European colonies um, that were becoming independent within Africa and Asia. Can't have that. Nope. Um, Germany was also a a major sticking point for Khrushchev early on um, because um, he... uh, uh, Because uh, the the main reason, essentially, is that Eastern Germany was much smaller than Western Germany. Um, So it was always a a very weakened uh, government. Um, and um, you just sort of had the example of West Germany to compare to it. Um, so it be- sort of had to be a state that the Soviet Union had to prop up um, and just became a point of contention because they're just worried about, you know, that the state, it, it looks bad relative to West Germany and it's not really helping things. So stupid question, who decided to split up, like, or not who decided, but like who drew the lines for the split of Berlin? Uh, essentially what happened was that after the after the wars ended, there were zones of occupation for Germany that essentially broke down to where the armies were when, you know, when peace was declared. Gotcha. So the area of East Germany was the area that the Soviet Union um, uh, controlled. And the area of West Germany was where the Western allies were. And Berlin was divided between them as well, because there was an American section, a British section, a French section of Berlin and a Soviet section. Gotcha. Um, and over time, there so was a sort of debate about like, uh, like New York or Trenton, right? Like it was just uh it was all broken down by sections. <laughs> the boroughs of Berlin. All like nationals, <laughs> the boroughs, yeah. Well, it kind of. Not not like sort of in a in a natural like city 
sense. So then the only like, thing I'm going to say is that, hey, listen, you, you you fucked with the actual, the boys, the United States. We we came in there and did work. We we're going to get more Berlin. And I know that, you know, we weren't even the first ones there. But, you know, that's how the well, cookie crumbles. Well, part of the part of the issue is it's the same thing that happens, you know, for instance, in like Vietnam and um, and uh, Korea, for an example, is that because uh, after the war sort of goes, they're supposed to sort of have these like elections are supposed to decide what the fate of the country is and they can't really come to a decision. So you get, for instance, like North and South Korea, um, you get a divided Vietnam um, and the case of Germany as well. There was sort of a debate about what they were going to do with Germany Um uh, so one of the things that they initially wanted to do was they wanted to make Germany like Austria, just have it completely disarmed and um, just have it be a neutral nation. Um, but it but it caused a lot of issues because, you know, after after things were put into place, um, like the Soviet Union wanted it to be a communist friendly government. Uh, the United States wanted it to be a Western friendly government and it wasn't as negligible as Austria. So the things just remained divided and became uh, mm-hmm. official eventually. Right. Um, also, as well, Khrushchev was not happy with the fact that the Soviet Union was in conflict with Yugoslavia, uh, mostly because of uh, the conflicts between Stalin and Tito um, and the fact that Tito would not, you know, sort of bend to Stalin. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, as, as I Where's mentioned, Tito? Hmm? remember Jesus that Christ, do you remember that? You guys? <laughs> I sadly enough, I do. Wear your seatbelt for this memory, because wear it. Oh, clip, <laughs> clip that bitch in. Don't use it as a bottle opener. Don't buy one of those oh little seatbelt alarm stoppers that just clicks into the fucking piece, but you don't actually have the seatbelt on, and it doubles as a bottle opener. Like, don't just just put the fucking seatbelt on. You know what's you, uh, you know what's cool though. Um, have you seen those uh, door canes that like go inside the um, uh, the lock post on the actual frame of the door? So, like, people who have trouble standing out of the car can use that to pull themselves up. Oh, yeah, I have seen it. It's kind of cool. I, I actually saw a thread about it uh, earlier this week on, um, it's like r slash mechanics or something like that. And they mm-hmm. everyone agreed that it's completely safe. Like, apparently that locking mechanism is made to hold thousands of pounds or something. I <laughs> so mean, it's, it's, like, simple, it's simple physics. If you put yeah. that on something that is not going to just crumple, yeah. um, as long as your car isn't made out of, like, fucking Cracker Jack boxes, like, it sh- right. should be fine. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty cool, though. Anyway, Khrushchev. I bet you Khrushchev used one of those. Because he's old. No, he is man. He's stand. <laughs> but also, I strong. Russia might not have had cars no then. Fucking car thing. That was how he sounded, um, too. It's 100% accurate. Um, so, as, as mentioned, uh, Khrushchev saw that Austria was a very quick way to sort of, um, sort of simmer things down with NATO by. Um, by keeping uh, agreeing that Austria would be like a sort of a neutral nation that while it was economically tied to the West, it was um, diplomatically neutral and not a part of NATO. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so when uh, Khrushchev took control, um, a lot of the world didn't know anything about him. And initially, you know, people were not impressed by him. You know, he was short, he was heavy set, um, and he was often wearing uh, ill-fitting suits. Mm-hmm. Um, it is said that he radiated energy, but not intellect. Um, and was um, often dismissed as a buffoon um, who would not last long as leader of the Soviet Union. I feel like people that say that, like, oh, this guy's a clown, he's not going to last, they're always Um, 100% wrong. uh, The British Foreign Secretary, Harold Macmillan, uh, wondered 
How can this fat, vulgar man with his pig eyes and ceaseless flow of talk be the head, the aspirant czar for all those millions of people? Ease up. Uh, A biographer of Khrushchev, uh, Thompson, uh, described um, described him in this way. He could be charming or vulgar, ebullient or sullen. He was given to public displays of rage, often contrived, and to soaring hyperbole in his rhetoric. But whatever uh, whatever he was, however he came across, he was more human than his predecessor or or even the most of his foreign counterparts. And for much of the world, that was enough to make the Soviet Union seem less mysterious or menacing. So essentially, Khrushchev's appeal is that he's like the the fat blowhard that you're going to have a beer with. I, I can't stand. I can't stand that idea for like a world leader. You know what I mean? It's like the yeah, it's but, like the Bush Junior thing. I just feel like you could really you could have a beer with him. I don't what? want that. Now watch I, this drive. I, yeah, I I think it's too that like when when a guy can like control your whole destiny, the fact that he talks to you like a person for a lot of people just makes them, um, you know, feel feel more at ease. Right. I, I'm not saying that's that's correct or or. Even what I believe, I, I think Whoa, that's kind of dumb. I'm not saying you're saying anything at all. No, I'm just nice. saying. I'm I'm just saying that's not what I I believe. Yeah. Just just for the record, I know. I'm you, just saying. I know that, like personally, I know that you prefer Stalin. Yeah, but but people who people listening might not know that. <laughs> you know, I prefer that I prefer the execution and photoshopping of my enemies. <laughs> I have said it before, and I will say it again. All kulaks must hang. It is <laughs> it is imperative. Oh my god. All the wreckers, these people, they need to be sent to prison. Ryan, can we get a can we get a you know disclaimer here? Come on. <laughs> no, I cannot give you a disclaimer. Oh, I gotta let on. that one fly. That one's He's gonna, gonna fly. get us just, all arrested. I'm just saying, if Trotsky had been ice picked, you know, several decades earlier, you know, it wouldn't have had as many problems. Look, it was just a lot easier to export them. Okay, people were used <laughs> to it. They, they, he knew everyone at the airport. You know. <laughs> I'm just saying Mexico had the ice pick summer and it just became very easy for him to take advantage of that. Um, so uh, Khrushchev wants to find as one of his earlier um, uh, sort of uh, diplomatic things is he wants to find a lasting solution to the problem of Germany um, and also of West Berlin. Um, in 19 uh, in November of 1958, he called West Berlin a malignant tumor. Oh, um, oh, whoa! That's the United States' territory, oh, man. Hey, hey, hey And he gave he gave the United States, the United Kingdom, and France six months to conclude a peace treaty with both German states and the Soviet Union. You have to remember by this point, even though World War II is over, um, in the fifties, they're still like signing peace treaties and stuff between the nations. Um, no, I mean so, that makes total sense. The entire world was at war for like what ten years. I mean, at least it's uh, about about six in the west and eight in the east. Yeah, so ten yeah, years. Yeah, so average and, ten uh, years. <laughs> <laughs> we'll round up because it's war, all right? And uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to take a long time for them to come to terms. Like you um, actually have shit, to they're come to the fucking still doing it, Steve. Yeah, like you got to come to the table with people that killed potentially your relatives. Like that's not going to be something that you're going to want to do immediately. Well, it's what's well, also it, it, they they essentially did want to do what happened during World War One, where they they just essentially sat the Germans down and told them like, yeah, this is what you're signing, and and you should have like thought of that before you started the war, bitch. 
But also, yeah. that's the abject correct way to do it. Like, you started <laughs> shit. Now you get to sit down and shut the fuck up. You don't get to have a say in yeah. how this is going to go. Yeah, but but that's also how World War II happened. <laughs> and is, once again, exactly once again, let me happened. just point out, that's how World War II happened. But what, what happened? They once again got their shit kicked in because they tried that fucking nonsense. Yeah. Um. So Khrushchev yeah. says that if, if a peace <laughs> treaty is not signed between the, the Western nations and the Germanies, that the Soviet Union will make its own peace treaty with East Germany. Wait, there was more um, than one Germany? Oh, West and East, right? Okay. Yeah, uh, this would this would um, make East Germany, which was on a party to, um, which was on a party at that time, if a treaty was made between them and the Soviet Union separately, this would not allow the Western powers to reach uh, Berlin um, by uh, by ground based routes because they would have to travel through East Germany. Right. Um. He proposed making Berlin a free city, uh, which meant that uh, no outside military forces could be stationed there. Um, West Germany, the U.S., and France strongly opposed this ultimatum, uh, but the British uh, wanted to consider it and started uh, uh, used it as a starting point for negotiations. Um, none of the powers wanted to obviously risk a war over this. Um, at, Khrushchev, uh, at Britain's request, uh, Khrushchev would extend and ultimately drop the ultimatum as Berlin uh, became um, uh, sort of a um, part of an agenda at high-level uh, summit meetings. Hmm. Um, Khrushchev also sought to uh, reduce the levels of conventional weapons um, that the Soviet Union had and defend it with missiles. Yeah, so he's going to reduce the amount of conventional weapons by sending them, spoiler alert, to Cuba. Uh, and then, uh, you know. Oh! <laughs> oh! Not fi- not Fidel. Um, well, well, essentially, his idea is is that he's going to uh, sort of shrink down the Soviet military, um, which is eating up a lot of the nation's resources, um, and um, make it so that um, that the Soviet Union has you know nuclear weapons, so that it doesn't have to worry about invasion. Um, he would abandon Stalin's plans to form a uh, large navy in 1955. Um, uh, believing that, you know, that in, within a future war, that none of these ships would be really valuable because they would be too vulnerable to conventional or nuclear attack. Which Ukraine, the Ukraine has uh, 100% demonstrated. <laughs> in, uh, in January of 1960, um, he would take advantage of improved relations with the U.S. Um, and reduce uh, the Soviet Union's uh, armed forces um, uh, one-third in size um uh essentially under the premise that advanced weapons would make up for the uh the the reduction in the forces uh while the Soviet Union did have a conscription policy in place um exemptions from military service became uh, more and more common especially for students interesting um, also quick side note um little fun fact uh if you listen to like heavy industrial metal uh Rammstein, uh every member from Rammstein, as far as i know came from east berlin they like grew up in east berlin isn't uh isn't till in a lot of shit right now for like grooming or something you know people always say that shit but every single time you actually read the news it's like till was out at a bar with a woman and somebody talked shit to the woman and he knocked that guy out like knocked him out cold i mean that that i know happened but like recently i think he he got in some trouble i'd I'd have to see it i mean it's not i'm not gonna say i don't believe it but like i'd have to see it just based on his history of like just beating people's fucking asses who are like disrespectful to people and the craziest thing is if you see a picture of this dude dude he's in his 50s if not 60s at this point that is definitely fucking man he is jacked 
though. Yeah, he's he is pretty, fucking pretty big for jacked. His age. I'm like, yeah. holy fuck! I wish I could look that good when I'm in my sixties. You can, but you know, you also bro. I will the size never of all the cancer in your body. At I the same will never time. look that good when I'm sixty, bro. Just pause, start, pause, start those cycles, bro. Bro, I'd be impressed if I'm not dead by the time I'm sixty. Now you'd be all right, dude. Just wear your seatbelt. You know, wear your um, seatbelt, everybody. Two two historians. We're being uh, totally serious, by the way, everyone. Wear your fucking seatbelt. It's not God a fucking joke. Do not put it um, behind your back and just clip it in so you could. <laughs> no, I got this. I got this Hello Kitty clip that I just put in the. So, real quick spoiler alert for everybody: Khrushchev died in a very tragic auto racing accident because he was not wearing his seatbelt down the drag it's okay. strip. I, yeah, he was it's okay. My belly too big for belt. I, he was. Uh, he, said, he was ejected from a funny car at 255 miles he an said, hour. He said his. He said his lifetime dream was to race at Le Mans, and he he as he got into his car, he said, "Dude." Do not worry. When I get back, I find out who killed friend John. And then he got in the car, and then, then he died going down a curve. It was the wildest thing. No. So Some people think his car might have been tampered with. Uh, but anyways, wear your seatbelt. Um, so two historians, Campbell Craig and, and Sergei uh, Radchenko, uh, they they make the argument that Khrushchev's um, uh, that he thought his um, that that he thought that policies like mutually assured destruction were too dangerous for the Soviet Union. Um, yeah. So, uh, although he's talking about expanding um, nuclear weapons, uh, his approach did not uh, greatly change his foreign policy or military doctrine. Um, but it was a, it, it was apparent that he wanted to uh, to, to minimize the risk of war. Um, for instance, the Soviet Union had few operable uh, ICBMs, um, and uh, and but despite of this, uh, Khrushchev would publicly boast about the Soviets' uh, missile program. State. Stating that the Soviet Union had a vast and varied arsenal of weapons, which was not true. Did he fucking yawn gotta, while I was boasting? Or fucking shoot him! You got a bluff, though. You got. You can't be like go on international TV and be like, "So we have six missiles." Like you, can, you got to tell everybody. Listen, I got hundreds, and I'll, I'll, I'll wreck your so shit. Like, don't play with me. So there's six missiles total. <laughs> no, you just you just got to be like Israel and be like, "Do you have missiles?" Like I ain't saying. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> So uh, he hoped that the public perception that the Soviets were ahead of the Western world in in sort of missile technology uh, would put psychological pressure on the West to give them political concessions. Um, For instance, the Soviet space program, which Khrushchev supported, um, appeared to sort of support this idea because if you could launch, you know, for instance, Sputnik into orbit, you can most likely shoot an ICBM from the Soviet Union and hit the United States. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, when it became clear, you know, that the launch and Sputnik 1 were real, um, Western governments uh, concluded that the Soviets' uh, missile program was further along than it actually was and that Khrushchev wasn't lying. Uh, and uh, uh, Khrushchev also added to this by stating in an interview in October of 1957 that the Soviet Union had all the rockets um, uh, that it needed in order to accomplish its goals. Okay, see, now that's bullshit. Now you can tell he's full of shit. Oh, we have everything we need. We, we, we can do this. No pressure. Like, ah, do you? Um, and also for uh, for a number of years, uh, Khrushchev would also make it a point of having a rocket launch before he made a major foreign trip in order to um, intimidate his hosts. So he'd launch one-sixth of his arsenal every time he'd make a trip? <laughs> <laughs> the only... 
We only have six ghosts, Sergey. Make it look good. <laughs> hey, just listen. Buy one of those little uh, model rocket launch kits from eBay. And, uh, yeah, everybody will believe it. <laughs> um, in January of 1960, uh, Khrushchev told the Presidium that, uh, that he believed that Soviet ICBMs um, made it possible that, uh, that quote-unquote, Main Street Americans have begun to shake from fear for the first times in their lives. What? What? Um, believing, you know, that because of the fact that uh, the United States, for the first time in really its history, could be hit and, and sort of devastatingly hit by a foreign foe would, you know, make the American public, you know, afraid in a way that they've never been before, which is, you know, true. Right. True. You afraid um, True. Um, so the United States, as well, learned that the Soviet missile program was not as far along as it was due to uh, overflights by spy planes in the late 1950s, but only high-level U.S. officials knew of this. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The general perception within the United States and among the public was that um, that there was a missile gap, quote-unquote, um, that led to like the United a, States. Like a store in the mall that sold missiles to, like, boot yeah. teenagers? Yeah. Or yeah, like they, a, had, they had a bunch of ads in the... the gap. Yep. Or was it like a? They had a bunch of ads in like the early aughts and the late nineties where they danced around with missiles of the of like the missile hot topic, or like uh, maybe the missile Macy's. You know, I would be afraid of the missile Sears because you know they just don't give a shit. <laughs> just yeah, like, I mean, but Sears certifies <laughs> the missile their missiles. Though. You know, you can you can take a missile back to Sears twenty years later and they'll give you a refund. Do you know that? Really. No. How about the missile payless? <laughs> it falls apart on the pad. Oh, no. Um, but um, while high-ranking U.S. officials knew that the missile gap wasn't real, um, they purposely used it in order to build up defense funding for the United States government. Like and thus, do. Northrop Grumman, Boeing, Raytheon, General Dynamics, and Lockheed Martin which, were born. Which, is, which was a trend throughout the throughout the cold war where the united states would say oh you know the soviets have this new this new thing oftentimes just sort of like um misidentifying or or almost purposely misidentifying uh soviet like tanks and stuff and they're like oh they got this new uh new tank you can do this this and this like we're we're gonna need something to counter this we're gonna need some need some serious money to counter this (sighs) jesus christ um Vice President uh, Richard Nixon would visit the Soviet Union in 1959, where he and Khrushchev would take part in what became known as the Kitchen Debate. We have that every Thanksgiving. I'm not impressed. Um, <laughs> that every Nixon. fucking weekend. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, it's it's probably the biggest problem in American households today. The Kitchen Debate. Think about it. Like, what do you want to eat for dinner? I say, I, I say, you, you clean dishes. Well, I'm okay. Oh, I I'm, I'm cleaning those dishes. I'm okay with whatever you want. <laughs> well, I'm okay with whatever you want. No, no, what do you no. call I it? You make you, a decision. I asked no. you first. No, you but I don't know. All right, you I want to go to Taco Bell. No, I don't want to. Nah, I'm not feeling yeah, Taco Nick, Bell. It was, it was, <laughs> do you want some KFC? No, I'm not feeling not KFC really. either. What do we have in the closet? Let's take a look in there. No, I'd rather go out to eat. <laughs> oh, I'd it, rather just order something. <laughs> Nick said definitely had strong girlfriend energy. <laughs> you think so? Yeah, he's like... Where do you want? Where do you want to eat, Dick? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Perfect. I'm not 100 percent sure where I want to eat. That was fucking he says, perfect. He says he doesn't know, but he 100 really percent sure. knows exactly where he wants to now, go. But he doesn't excuse, want you. I'll be he doesn't want to say it directly because you know of, of whatever. He doesn't want to directly say it. You have to get there. I'll be bowling a few frames right now. <laughs> Let me um, go talk but, to Spiru. 
But Spe- the uh, Spiro is that his name? Spiro, Spiro Agnew. Agnew. Spiro. Spiro Agnew. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Let me go talk to Spiro. Spiro. Spiro Agnew was too busy like trying to sell off parts of the kitchen display to to make a buck on the side. Yeah, um, he was the uh, Creed Bratton of the Nixon administration. <laughs> <laughs> Spiro. I'm, that's the title of the episode. Spiro was, Agnew was the Creed Bratton of the Nixon administration. He was. He was possibly one of the most corrupt American politicians at the within the within the White House. Steve, stop even it. including you're, the current White ruin House. Thanksgiving. Stop it. Yeah. <laughs> Every my year. Uh, my entire family's going to be upset that you are maligning Spiro Agnew. Every <laughs> year. Hey, we all know we all know your family's not from Maryland, so they don't give a fuck. No, it's worse. They're from Boston. <laughs> yeah, but he was he was the governor of Maryland. Oh, okay. Before he became uh, vice president, and uh, he used to get a lot of kickbacks when he was the governor. And when he became vice president, he tried to get kickbacks on federal programming by by having people give money to him instead of like the federal departments. They're just like, well, you that was a crime. That's a crime, sir. (laughs) That's a crime. It was very it was very nakedly a crime. They're just like, well, you you can't do that. That's my favorite crime. crime, Honestly, is uh, naked crime. You know. Um. But the uh, kitchen debate was this. Some guy walked. uh, He he streaked that like a Disney ride the other day. That dude's gonna end up on the offender list. Oh, he's going to jail. Too. Well, he wasn't. He 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 was in uh he was in underwear. Was he? I thought ah, he was, he's all right. No, I thought he was straight up nude, man. There was a no, video, there was, was a, a woman who posted the video of it. I saw I saw him inside the bride, and he was wearing he was wearing underwear, and he uh-huh. like sat down in the middle of like like one of like the fake like fountains or whatever in the ride. Wait, you well, that's saw good. Him. Yeah, that's well, good. Well, lady just kept yelling at him. Stop! You're gonna get hurt. Are you? Wait, you saw <laughs> him, mom. Yeah, there was a video of him inside the ride. And oh, I thought, just you, someone... I thought you meant like you were at Disney and you saw. It. No, it was at it was like, at oh, Disney. California. It was at Disneyland. Yeah, yeah, uh, land it, of fruits and nuts. You know, the the, the, shitty, uh, the, 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 the abject shittier Disney. Yeah, I the see uh, the small world. The the small world ride there is uh, much bigger. Oh like, man! Like listen, the one fun fact: Pirates of the Caribbean used to use real human skeletons. Did you guys know that? They actually had an agreement with the body farm, not in Tennessee, but one of the schools around Disneyland in California, and I think it was USC. For sure in California, it's been rumored here in Florida, but they absolutely used real human skeletons on the Pirates of the Caribbean ride, and they started to phase it out when they realized, oh, we can just put fake shit in here, and it's been, you know... It been long enough that the fake shit looks real, but there's still rumors that they actually still have real skeletons still Ryan, in the Pirates of the been, Caribbean ride. We've been over this. It doesn't matter. They ain't got no souls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, skeletons don't matter. There's no souls there. I think that's cool as shit, though. Yeah, it is. If I could do that, I'd be like, hey, Disney, I want you to use my skeleton for the rest of the world. I'm like, it's a small world ride. I'll like, be honest with um, you, though. <laughs> you thinking that's cool might be the highest thing you've ever said, you know? Um, ah. we'll, 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 we'll get to, we'll, <laughs> we'll get, get to, to the Disneyland. highest, th- we'll get to the we'll, highest we'll, thing he's ever said momentarily. Uh, yeah. Uh, listen, I can, I can get higher. <laughs> but the, uh, the, the, the kitchen debate to get back to it was sort of this debate no, no, between Nixon and Khrushchev. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get back to it when we say we're, <laughs> we all got to work the, tomorrow. Let me finish. At the, at the American National Exhibition in Moscow. Uh, where each of them sort of gave these defenses of their economic system. A, a lot of it, uh, Khrushchev sort of like disbelieving, you know, that in an American household, you know, everyone would have a TV or like the appliances and stuff that were in a kitchen, um, that, that he sort of denied that that, that was possible. Was he Fox um, News? <laughs> um, so Nixon um, 
invites Khrushchev to come to the United States, which he agreed. We'll have a really good time. We'll have a good time. I have a bowling alley in the White House. Um, he would make his first visit to the United States. Seriously, you know what? Sub- What's more offensive, the bowling alley in the White House or Obama's tan suit? <laughs> it's the mustard. I love them both. The mustard. tan suit, dude. The, 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 the Dijon. <laughs> I love them both. As a matter of fact, more presidents should wear suits this, based on food colors. Like, I want to see this goddamn What's his nuts wear a, a Biden wear a blueberry suit? He'll never not do blue, it, yeah. not navy. A blueberry, bright fucking I, blue. He'll fuck up the tie or something. You know, I mean, he's an idiot. You're, you're saying he should wear like a Conor McGregor suit, is what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> at least he would have a little bit of swag, even though he's 80 and doesn't know where the fuck he is at any point in time. But like, at least he could have some swag. So, like, it. again, I, you know, obviously, I'm not, I'm not anti-Biden completely. Like I'm not not a fan, right? But there was a uh, a shirt came up when I was looking from my uh, uh, cr- ugly Christmas sweater, and uh-huh. uh, it just had Biden on it, and it just said it, it was all Christmas, right? But at the bottom, it just says Happy Easter. Oh my fucking god! I would wear that. To <laughs> I work. thought that was amazing. <laughs> I'd wear that to work on our ugly sweater day just to see the looks that people would give Happy me. They're like, wait a minute, Easter. wait a minute, hang on. <laughs> I don't get it. What's the gag? <laughs> See the joke is Florida people. No, I'm not done. <laughs> on uh, on September 15th, 1959, Khrushchev would arrive in Washington, beginning his 13 day uh, visit to the United States. Right, um, Thirteen days. This, Here we go. This would um, this would uh, create sort of a media circus around his travels. Um, he brought his uh, wife with him, uh, Nina Petrovna, um, his adult children, um, and um, and this was sort of like. Uh, the first time that a Soviet official had also traveled with the, their family. Um, uh, you know, for instance, uh, previous Soviet leaders such as like Lenin, who didn't really travel abroad, and Stalin, who when he did, usually did so alone with only his entourage. Can you imagine if Khrushchev left his wife at home and then came back being like, oh my God, Nina, they have Pizza Hut and they have <laughs> supermarkets. Oh, you should have been there. She just fucking smacks him with a frying pan. <laughs> oh my God. Um, Khrushchev would visit New York City, Los Angeles, uh, San Francisco, uh, where he would visit a supermarket, uh, Coon Rapids, Iowa. What'd you just call me? <laughs> uh, where he would where he would visit the uh, Roswell Garst Farm, the gentleman we talked about before who sold the corn to the Soviet Union. Right. He would visit Pittsburgh um, and Washington, uh, concluding uh, concluding his trip with a meeting with uh, President Eisenhower at Camp David. Mm. Was that Washington, uh, like West Coast State Washington, and he never stepped foot in D.C.? No, in uh, in Washington D.C. Ah, womp womp. Um, so uh, he would uh, during a luncheon he had in Los Angeles at 20th Century Fox, he engaged in a in a an improvised um, though jovial debate uh, with his host uh, Spiros uh, Skouros um, over the merits of capitalism and communism. Um, he wanted to visit uh, Disneyland, oh um, but his but his uh, tr- <laughs> visit was canceled for security reasons, uh, which he made a big deal about. I am now um, immediately going to Photoshop Khrushchev with Mickey Mouse ears on him. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he, he gave he gave he gave like a very like sort of disgruntled speech about like why can I not see Mickey Mouse? <laughs> I get it though, one hundred fundo percent, bro. Like you're in the land of the mouse, and they're like, no, it's too dangerous. It's Disney um, World. How's it dangerous? It's Disney. He did visit uh, Eleanor Roosevelt at her home, um, and he also visited. Oh, that was a, okay, though. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, he also visited a um, an IBM research campus in San Jose, California. There it is. Um, There's the although, conspiracy. 
Although while he was there, he expressed little interest in computer technology, but he uh, greatly admired the self-service cafeteria there. And on his return, introduced self-service cafeterias to the Soviet Union. Dog, can you imagine if they brought this guy to a fucking sizzler? It would be over, dog. Now, see, now listen, see, the only problem with what happened, though, is you guys keep All you can eat it. brunch. What is you know, this? All you can eat. What? Before this, I was like, hey, you know, we should probably talk about the negatives. And you guys were both just like, just leave it alone. But, I mean, he had all the cafeteria women in Russia just <laughs> murdered brutally. And that's how they uh, got the self-serve cafeteria. <laughs> It's the same thing Walmart is doing this day. Yeah, they're just having all the cashiers killed in the streets. Out of <laughs> my poverty. favorite thing to do is to just walk past Walmart uh, when they try to stop you. And same, like, hey, same. No, 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 stop there. No. Same. <laughs> no, I'm not stopping. Yeah, do your fucking job. <laughs> Check my groceries yourself, or, or fuck off. Like I'm not. No, my stopping. favorite thing is just walking past Walmart too. Just right on past. <laughs> Oh yeah, no. I mean, I don't go to Walmart very often. It's only when like, dude, I go I, there, bro. I, I'm I'm gonna like I'm joking and stuff, but I'll go there all the fucking time because because it's just you can't buy groceries cheaply anymore. So like, I'm going to the cheapest possible place, Aldi's and Walmart. I ain't going to Publix. Fuck that. No, yeah, no, absolutely not. Oh well, no, I'll go to Publix still, but it's just for so some bogos. And I'll be honest with you, specific yogurts because like I eat yogurt every day and uh, good source of proteins, tasty. And, uh, and yeah, you got like three selections at fucking Walmart. You got Yoplait, you got, uh, Oikos, like one brand or something like that, like one flavor. <laughs> and, uh, and then like the big tub of Faye, you know, like the big tub of regular Greek yogurt. Yeah. And Publix has like an entire aisle of yogurt. It's amazing. If fucking Khrushchev would just pass out and have fucking arrhythmia, he would be vaporized. <laughs> Excuse me. Excuse me. Vaporize. We saw that. Are these all yogurt? <laughs> <laughs> How did you get chocolate? <sighs> um. So during the visit, uh, there's an informal agreement between uh, uh, Khrushchev that um, that there would be no firm deadline over Berlin, and that it would eventually be resolved during a four power summit um, that would uh, try to resolve the issues over Germany. Um, okay. His, his ultimate goal for the trip was to present warmth, charm, and peacefulness um, and, uh, and use uh, candid interviews with reporters to convince Americans of his humanity and goodwill. Um, uh, he did this very well, um, and, uh, and an observer, uh, Theodore Went, uh, called it the, quote-unquote, the zenith of his career. Um, the fucking uh, zenith? Yeah, it was sort of the high point of, of I mean, I know, what I know what zenith is yeah. I'm just I just that's like crazy. Um, it, the sort of the American audiences being very friendly to him convinced him that he had um, that he had like sort of um, he had made a good impression with Eisenhower and the American people, um, and that he could eventually achieve to taunt with the Americans. Eisenhower though was very unimpressed with him. Eisenhower said, um, "Fuck you." Um, Wasn't he, Eisenhower uh, a bit of a cock though? You know. Yes. I've heard he was kind of dickhead. I mean, I've heard he was like kinda, most presidents are. No, I understand that, but I'm just I'm no, talking I'm just about saying. fucking Eisenhower here. I'm I saying I heard him. he was kind of I heard he was kind of a douche. Like I don't know, I don't know. I'm just saying it because he's dead now, so he can't punch me in the face over anything. You know, it, he, he was wanted, the only four-term president, right? Or who? three-term president? 
No, that was FDR. Or FDR. Sorry, yeah. I'm thinking FDR Eisenhower was Eisenhower, the first seven-term president. I think Eisen, Eisenhower. <laughs> Eisenhower actually wanted to during the war. He wanted to, he wanted to divorce his wife and run off with his uh, driver. What a gangster! Um, but uh, but Omar Omar Bradley told him not to. Oh my god! He told him to wait till he told him to wait till the war's done. I thought you were gonna say Omar from the Wire. <laughs> Yo, Omar coming. <laughs> you see him whistling. <laughs> Um, so uh, Eisenhower pushed for there to be an immediate summit over Berlin and and Germany Um, but uh, uh, then French President Charles de Gaulle um, sort of threw a wrench in this by postponing it until 1960 which was the year that Eisenhower was scheduled to pay a return visit to the Soviet Union but that never happened because Omar came (laughs) Omar coming uh, one of one of the um, you see that we one warned of the, you we warned you about Omar he was on the block we told you he was coming one of the uh, one of the issues that um, often came up during this uh, period in Khrushchev's uh, reign was uh, the U.S. spy plane overflight to the Soviet Union um, the U two spy airplanes for those unfamiliar with them yeah um, so on April 9th, nineteen sixty uh, the U S would resume these flights over the Soviet Union. Um, the Soviets have protested the flights in the past, um, but these have been ignored by Washington. Um, because uh, Khrushchev George thought Washington? that he is... He's dead. Yes, George. Okay. Um, <coughs> Khrushchev, believing that he had a strong personal relationship with Eisenhower, um, was uh, was confused and angered by the flights resuming and concluded that they had been ordered by then-CIA director Alan Dulles without Eisenhower's knowledge. Good old Doldo. Uh, um, Khrushchev planned to visit the U.S. to meet with Eisenhower. However, the visit was canceled when the Soviet air defense forces brought down a U.S. U-2 spy plane. On May 1st, the U-2 spy plane, piloted by pilot Francis Gary Powers, uh, was shot down and Powers was captured alive. Not good, Powers. You fucked up. Um, <laughs> believing, that, uh, believing that Powers had been killed, the U.S. announced that a weather plane had been lost near the Turkish-Soviet border. Mm. Um Khrushchev, though, risked destroying the summit uh, due to start on the 16th of May in Paris if he announced the shootdown, but would look weak in the eyes of the military and security forces if he did not. Right. So on May 5th, Khrushchev announced that he uh, the shootdown of the plane and of power's capture, blaming the overflight on, quote-unquote, imperialist circles and militarists whose stronghold is the Pentagon, um, and suggesting that the plane had been sent without Eisenhower's knowledge. Oh... Um, Eisenhower um, did not want people to think that there were um, rogue elements within the Pentagon operating without presidential oversight and admitted that he had ordered the flights, calling them a quote-unquote distasteful necessity. Um, This admission would stun Khrushchev and turn turn this into a major political disaster for him. Um, And he uh, he would even appeal to the U.S. ambassador uh, Llewellyn Tom, uh, Thompson for help. Hmm, um, okay. Khrushchev was undecided uh, what to do at the summit, even as he boarded, uh, even as he boarded his flight to Paris. Um, he finally decided, in consultation with his advisors on the plane and the Presidium members in Moscow, to demand an apology from Eisenhower and a promise that there would be no further U two flights over the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Okay. Um, neither Eisenhower nor Khrushchev communicated with each other in the days before the summit. And at the summit, Khrushchev made his demands and stated that there was no purpose in the summit, which should be postponed for six to eight months. That is until um, after the 1960 U.S. presidential elections. Oh, dude. So it all comes down to Paul. OK, don't make waves until after the election. I hate um, shit. Uh, Eisenhower would offer no apology, but stated that the flights had been suspended and would not resume and renewed his Open Skies proposal for mutual overflight rights. Um, uh, Khrushchev was not happy with this and left the summit. Um, Eisenhower would accuse Khrushchev of, quote-unquote, of sabotaging this meeting on which so much of the hopes of the world have rested. Um, Eisenhower's visit to the Soviet Union, um, for which uh, Khrushchev had even built a golf course uh, for uh, Eisenhower to uh, enjoy uh, playing golf on because uh, Eisenhower's favorite sport was golf, was canceled by Khrushchev. Bro, what? Why? Be- because they refused to um, stop the flights. Because essentially, uh, Eisenhower's uh, sort of argument is, I should say counter to Khrushchev, is that they should both have mutual overflight rights. Okay. That both both countries should be able to sort of like spy on each other in that regard. Okay. And and Khrushchev said no, and so he so he canceled the visit because he won't agree to those terms. Wow, what a pussy! Um, Khrushchev would make his <laughs> second and final visit to the United Funny, States in September. Of, um, in in September of 1960, um, he had no um, invitation from the United States, but it, uh, appointed himself as the head of the Soviet Union's UN delegation. Um, he would spend much of his time um, sort of uh, trying to build up relations with uh, states within the developing world, which had recently become independent. Uh, the U.S. would restrict him to the island of Manhattan um, with visits uh, to an estate owned by the Soviet Union on Long Island. Um, this is also where the famous shoe-banging incident occurred during a debate on October 12th over a Soviet resolution decrying colonialism. Mm-hmm. Shoe-banging. Um, Chris- yeah, where he banged his shoe on the the podium. Oh, I don't think I've ever seen that. Yeah, he he literally took off his shoe and just started banging it on the podium and yelling. <laughs> wow. Um, Khrushchev had done this in response to a statement made by a Filipino delegate, uh, Lorenzo uh, Sumalong, uh, charging that the Soviets were employing a double standard uh, by decrying colonialism while dominating Eastern Europe. Um, Khrushchev, in response, demanded the right to reply immediately and accused Sumalong of being a, quote-unquote, a fawning lackey of the American imperialists. Um, Sumalong resumed his speech and accused the Soviets of hypocrisy. Um, this is when uh, Khrushchev yanked off his shoe and began banging it on his desk. Um, this obviously, you know, scandalized the Soviet delegation to the United Nations. <laughs> yes. Just, just a little bit. Um, Khrushchev was happy to see uh, Nixon lose the 1960 presidential election, because he believed that Nixon was a hardliner. Um, he considered uh, uh, John F. Kennedy to be a far more likely uh, partner in having detente, um, but was um, but was taken aback when, uh, during JFK's, uh, uh, soon after his inauguration, uh, he began uh, talking tough on the Soviet Union. Uh, Khrushchev would uh, achieve a propaganda victory, though, in April of 1961, with the uh, uh, with his first uh, human spaceflight, um, and uh, Kennedy would in, during that time also suffer a defeat with the failure of the Bay of Pigs invasion. Oh boy, here we go. Um, good shit so now. 
era. So Khrushchev's really getting on on my nerves. <laughs> well, uh, Khrushchev had threatened to I'm defend Cuba to with sex here in the White House. Come here, Marilyn. Um, while he had threatened to defend Cuba with uh, missiles, uh, he uh, he he really was just uh, meaning it mainly as talk. Um, so you the the failure bitch, of Steve? no, I'm just saying he he didn't really want to you know go all the way. Yeah, he just wanted to bluff basically. <laughs> um, but the uh, the failure in uh, Cuba of the uh, Bay of Pigs invasion and the United States attempt to overthrow Castro. Um, led to Kennedy's determination to make no concessions at the Vienna summit scheduled for June 3rd of 1961. Uh, Both Kennedy and Khrushchev would take a hard line during this uh, summit, uh, Khrushchev demanding a treaty that would recognize the two German states and refusing to yield on any remaining issues obstructing a test ban treaty. Mm -hmm. Um, Kennedy, though, um, uh, had been led to believe that the test, tran- uh, the test ban treaty would be concluded at the summit and felt that a deal on Berlin had to uh, uh, wait until uh, tensions between uh, East and West had eased. Um, Kennedy described negotiating with Khrushchev um, to Robert Kennedy as, quote-unquote, like dealing with dad. All give and no take. <laughs> Damn. Uh, so... Uh, this indefinite uh, postponement uh, over Berlin was unacceptable to Khrushchev, um, if for no other reason than that the, the East Germans uh, were suffering from a continuous uh, brain drain as um, highly educated East Germans would flee to the West, uh, mainly through Berlin. Okay. Um, so while the border between East and West Germany had been fortified elsewhere, uh, Berlin remained open. Um so, being emboldened by statements from a former U.S. ambassador to Moscow, Charles uh, E. Bolin, and a United States Senate Committee on Foreign Relations chairman, uh, J. William Fulbright, uh, that East Germany had every right to close its borders, uh, which these statements were not disavowed by, uh, by Kennedy's administration, uh, Khrushchev authorized East German leader Walter Ulbricht to begin construction of what would eventually become the Berlin Wall that would sub- uh, surround West it. Berlin. See, is. Ryan, I knew it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, these preparations were made in uh, secrecy, and the border was sealed off in the early hours of uh, August thirteenth, nineteen sixty-one. That in Germany, or <laughs> yeah, it's over. It's over by Potsdam. <laughs> um, this uh, when guy. Uh, when uh, most uh, and this was done in the early hours when uh, most East German workers. Um, uh, who uh, would travel to the West in order to, uh, who would travel to West Berlin uh, to work would be in their homes. Uh, the wall would end up being a propaganda disaster and mark the end of Khrushchev's attempts to conclude a peace treaty among the four powers and the two German states. Um, this treaty would not be signed. This treaty, uh, this treaty would not be signed until September 1990 wow. as a prelude to German reunification. 1990. Okay. What was I doing? I was an older boy. There you go. Because hey. a lot of the up until the fall of the Berlin Wall, like a lot of the things that were like the rules and stuff for West uh, West Berlin and stuff like that, they were pretty much the same they were during the war. Mm-hmm. That like, um, for instance, like uh, people like say like uh, British people because they would go by the highway into. Uh, east uh, into West Berlin through East Germany. 
um, and that they were instructed not to like talk to any of like the East Germans. They could only talk to like the Soviets and that like they couldn't get out of their cars or do anything like do, do anything else unless like a Soviet guy was there and they couldn't like give any of the East Germans or identification mm-hmm. because of like the very sketchy, almost like like North Korea type situation. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, eventually, these tensions between East and West would culminate in the Cuban Missile Crisis, uh, which in the Soviet Union is referred to as the Caribbean Crisis. Um, this would begin in October of 1962. That just, the, yeah, that's not as effective as the Cuban Missile. The Caribbean Crisis sounds like some bad shit that happens on vacation, you know? <laughs> but, like, the Cuban <laughs> Missile Crisis really gives it to you, you know? Yeah, when your sister, she got her hair braided and she bought all those joints. It yeah. was a real Caribbean crisis. <laughs> Total crisis for the whole family. Your mother passed out twice. Um, and this was uh, over the Soviet Union's um, attempts to install medium-range nuclear missiles in Cuba, about, as mentioned before, 90 miles from the U.S. coast. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Fidel Castro uh, was reluctant to accept the missiles, uh, but once he was persuaded... Uh, warned Khrushchev against transporting the missiles in secret. Oh, if he does. Don't do um, it quiet. Uh, Castro would state uh, 30 years after this that we had, quote unquote, we had sovereign right to accept the missiles. We were not violating international law. Why do it secretly as if we had no right to do it? I warned Nikita that secrecy would give the imperialists the advantage. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is true because at this time, the uh, the United States has nuclear missiles in countries all around bordering the Soviet Union. Right. On October 16th, uh, Kennedy is informed that U-2 flights over Cuba had discovered what were most likely medium-range missile sites. And though he and his advisors uh, considered approaching Khrushchev through diplomatic channels, uh, they could come up with uh, no way doing this that would uh, not make them look weak. And here's the thing, too. Like, Fidel... He had that right. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you, you're not violating any kind of international law by accepting missiles from Russia, right? It's not illegal, okay? However, much like, you know, calling a toddler a dickhead, it's not illegal, but it's got a terrible optics to it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> like, you probably yeah. well, I mean, shouldn't do it. Some toddlers, though, you know, sometimes. Every toddler is a dickhead. If you know a toddler, every toddler is a dickhead. Yeah, he's got to lay into them. Every once this, in a while, though, Ryan, you know, he's really got to lay into those fuckers. I mean, with the parents <laughs> listening to this being like, well, my toddler's not a dickhead. No, your toddler is the biggest dickhead. <laughs> my okay? toddler is a good boy. Yeah, biggest dickhead in the world right there. But That's it's not the illegal. One. It's just frowned upon. You know what I'm saying? So if Fidel had been like doing it in secret, it would have just been frowned upon. Like, why, didn't, why wouldn't you just do it outright? There's nothing illegal about it, bro. Hmm. Um... On October 22nd, uh, John F. Kennedy addressed the nation by television, revealing that the missiles, uh, revealing the presence of the missiles in Cuba and announcing a blockade of Cuba. Yeah, up, Maryland. I'm uh, I'm on TV. Uh, this ain't that hard. <laughs> You're going to be on um, TV again a lot. Uh, Khrushchev um, being informed in advance of the speech, um, but not until an hour um, but but not of the content of the speech until an hour before it was aired. Oh, I need um, this Khrushchev business like I need a hole in the head, you know? Uh, Khrushchev <laughs> feared that the United States was going to invade Cuba. Um, even before Kennedy's speech, uh, Khrushchev ordered Soviet commanders in Cuba that they could use all weapons against an attack except uh, nuclear weapons. Good. As the crisis unfolded, um, tensions ran high. Um 
less so in the Soviet Union, where Khrushchev made several public appearances and went to the Bolshoi Theater to hear an American opera singer, uh, Jerome Hines, uh, who was then performing in Moscow. On October 25th... Now, how come he didn't so- get Bobby Fischard? How, how come he was allowed to perform in Moscow? Oh. It's, it's, it's a different pretty goddamn time. rare that Steve says, oh. Hmm. Um, on October 25th, uh, the Soviets, being unclear on Kennedy's full intentions, decided that the missiles would have to be withdrawn from Cuba. Yeah. Um, two days later, uh, he would offer Kennedy terms for withdrawal. He agreed to withdraw the missiles in exchange for a U.S. promise not to invade Cuba and a secret promise that the U.S. would withdraw missiles from uh, Turkey near the Soviet, um, the, the Soviet's industrial and agricultural heartland. Um, the, at, the, at the last, um, as, the, as this last term was not publicly announced at the request of the U.S., it was not known until just before Khrushchev's death in 1971. The resolution was seen as a great defeat for the Soviets and would contribute uh, to Khrushchev's fall less than two years later. Um, Castro urged Khrushchev to launch a preemptive uh, nuclear attack on the United States in an event of an invasion of Cuba. It was angered by the outcome, referring uh, to Khrushchev in profane terms. Wow. Oof. Preemptive. Calm down, Fidel. Well, I guess in the in the when it became obvious that the U.S. was going to invade them. Hmm. Um. So uh, after after the the missile crisis. Um, the relations between the states would improve. Uh, Kennedy would give a conciliatory speech at, at, uh, American, at the American University on June 10th, 1963, recognizing the Soviet people's suffering during World War II and paying tribute to their achievements. Khrushchev would call the speech the best by a U.S. president since Franklin D. Roosevelt. Um, and in July, negotiated a test ban treaty with the U.S., um, negotiating with Avril Harriman, and with uh, Lord uh, Hailsham uh, of the United Kingdom. Um, there was plans for a second Khrushchev-Kennedy summit, but these were dashed um, by the assassination of John F. Kennedy in November of 1963. By the Secret Service with their brand new AR-50... No, let me not, let me not start this. <laughs> um, Lyndon Johnson, who would come into office, um, hoped for a continued improved relations, but was distracted um, by, by issues uh, at home and abroad, and had very little opportunity to develop a relationship with Khrushchev before Khrushchev is ousted. Um, within uh, Eastern Europe, uh, the secret speech, uh, once it's made by Khrushchev, um, this combined with the death of a, uh, a Polish uh, communist leader, uh, Boleslaw uh, Beirut, um, who suffered a heart attack while reading the speech, um, uh, sparked uh, liberalization within Poland and Hungary. Um, in Poland, uh, a worker strike in Poznan developed into a um, developed into a wider um, sort of incident that left more than uh, fifty dead in June of 1956. Um, when Moscow blamed these disturbances on Western agitators, uh, Polish leaders ignored the claim and instead made concessions to the workers. Uh, with anti-Soviet displays becoming more common in Poland and crucial Polish leadership elections upcoming. Khrushchev and other Presidium members flew to Warsaw on October 19th to meet with the Polish Presidium. Um, the Soviets uh, agreed to allow the new Polish leadership to take office on the assurances there would be no change to the Soviet-Polish relationship. Um, this, uh, 
a period of um, partial liberalization known as the Polish October Fallout. And the Polish October actually occurred in November, right? <laughs> Get it? Because they're Polish. Ha, ha, ha. Oh, man. You went there. Yeah. Oh, we'll get, it. we'll get an email. Happy Easter. Um, this, uh, the settlement that the Soviets made with Poland um, emboldened the Hungarian leadership who decided that they could also defy Moscow. Yeah, it sounds like Hungary. And here uh, it is, the, card, the card house. Listen, what is it? What do they call it? Like the, the fall house, of, the house of, cards? of cards? Yeah. A um, a mass demonstration would begin in, in Budapest on October 23rd, which would turn into a popular uprising. Um, in response to this uprising, uh, Hungarian uh, party leaders installed a reformist premier, uh, Emre Nagy. Um, uh, it's pronounced uh, Noish, just saying. <laughs> Are you for real? You- oh, I'm for real. <laughs> You're definitely full of shit. <laughs> no, I'm absolutely for real. It's, oh, okay. Yeah, I'm, I mean, my last name is like the Smith of Hungary. Okay, yeah. All right, all right. These are Hungarian my guys. My brother okay. is always like uh, learning the language, and he's always um, working on that in Italian. And he, uh, when he starts speaking in Hungarian, it sounds like he's, you know, trying to take down a horcrux, you know? It's, <laughs> it's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, you look at a word and you're like, yeah, it sounds like this, and then he says it, and you're like, nah, something's wrong with your jaw because words don't work like that. Yeah, Uh, fucking uh, triptongs and diphthongs. In in response to the demonstrations, uh, Soviet forces would clash uh, with the demonstrators and fired on them, uh, which would result in the deaths of hundreds. Uh, including both uh, Hungarians and Soviets. Wow, way to really drop uh, the mood, Steve. Damn, there it goes. Uh, right down the Naj would, would call for a ceasefire with a withdrawal of uh, Soviet troops, which a, uh, a Khrushchev-led uh, majority in the Presidium decided to obey, choosing to give the new Hungarian government a chance. Uh, Khrushchev assumed that if Moscow announced liberalization and how it, felt, uh, how it dealt with its allies, uh, Naj uh, would adhere to the alliance with the Soviet Union. On October 30th, uh, Naj would announce multi-party elections, and the next morning that Hungary would leave the Warsaw Pact. On November 3rd, two members of Naj's government appeared in Ukraine as the self-proclaimed heads of a provisional government and demanded Soviet intervention, which was which would eventually be forthcoming. Steve, as someone who's part Hungarian, I, I, I gotta say, you're killing this pronunciation. It's perfect. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. You're, too, you're, you're killing it, man. You're killing it. The, uh, the next day, uh, Soviet troops would uh, crush the Hungarian uprising Fuck. with a death toll of around 4,000 Hungarians and several hundred Soviet troops. Naj was arrested and later executed. Um, and despite international, uh, international outrage over, um, over the Soviet intervention into Hungary, uh, Khrushchev defended his actions for the rest of his life. Is that the 56 one, the uprising? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I've heard about that a lot. Um, uh this would cause uh, severe damage to Soviet foreign relations, um, and it would have been greater if um, if we're, it were not um, if it were not coincided with the Suez Crisis, which distracted world attention from it. Um, in the aftermath of this uh, crisis, uh, uh, Khrushchev made the statement uh, for which he became well remembered, uh, saying, "We will bury you." Whoa! Um, uh, while many in the West took this as a statement as a literal threat. Uh, Khrushchev made the statement as a speech of uh, in, a, in a speech he was making about peaceful coexistence with the West. Uh, when questioned about this statement during a 1959 visit, 
He stated that he was not referring to a literal burial, but that through the um, but through historical development, communism would replace capitalism and bury it. Nah, like nice dodge, I like the original pal. meeting. You nah, meant bro. murder. Nice way to walk that one. <laughs> yeah, back. yeah. Well done. I've told a few fibs in my time. No, I did not mean bury you, bury you. I meant to. I would bury you in flowers. No, I meant we were going to bury you, which in Russia means cover in raspberry jam. You have, you have not. You, you have not taken full quote. I had said that we will bury you in Minecraft. Yes. You, you are familiar that in Minecraft, it is not serious. It is it is merely something said in heat of moment, yes. much like much like as you say, gamer word. Yes. Uh, Who's that? Who's like, uh, oh God, who's the dude from like Sweden, Norway, the big time Thor gamer word guy, the gamer word guy, the kid that constantly drops the N word and then like goes and apologizes oh, a week later. Yeah. I forget his name now. It's been so long. You're talking about the guy that, yeah, the streamer. PewDiePie. That's the yeah, PewDiePie. PewDiePie. Yeah, PewDiePie. Yeah. Somewhere also he just shivered when Steve, when, when Steve said that. Shithead man. <laughs> Um, Khrushchev would improve relations with Yugoslavia, uh, which had been damaged uh, uh, during so um, during Stalin's reign of the Soviet Union. Um, and Khrushchev would lead a Soviet delegation uh, to Belgrade in 1955. Um, though uh, Tito, who was uh, 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 who was hostile uh, hostile um, to Khrushchev, did everything he could to make the the Soviets look foolish. Um, including making sure that Khrushchev got drunk in public. Uh, Khrushchev was though uh, was still successful in warming relations, um, ending uh, this uh, this sort of uh, dark period in Soviet Yugoslav relations. Yeah, of course, um, you warm relations. If the average person sees a leader just drunk and shit faced, they're like, "Oh, hey, he's just like us." Oh, yeah, <laughs> this guy's pretty cool. <laughs> I love it. Um, who else has not drank in twelve beers? Stumbled out of a out of an international conference. Exactly we, we try this here in America all the time. All the pictures of Obama and Hillary and everybody with beers, like in a bar with like the average person. But it's just will, so forced in state. I will. I will stop stumbling. you there, Ryan. I will. I will say that Khrushchev probably knew how to pour a beer. It was not like Hillary's, where it was just all head. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> If you had Hillary Clinton stumbling out of a bar and like one like holding her high heels, hair fucked up, mascara running down her face, just shit faced, stumbling, bro, her popularity would skyrocket, bro. I'm just telling you. Yeah, you know, and uh, Hillary's the headline the next day. It didn't say something like Hillary Clinton gives terrible head or something like that. Wasn't that one of the newspapers? Yeah, with, with maybe. Yeah. It's probably it was like, like the, the probably like the New York Post. It was like the yeah, it was something shitty. Yeah, yeah, somebody said that. I don't know. Um, while uh, so while the Hungarian crisis is going on, um, Tito would initially uh, support uh, Naj, uh, but Khrushchev would persuade Killing him um, of of the need for the intervention. Um, so the uh, the intervention though still damaged uh, uh, the Soviet Union's relationship with Yugoslavia. Um, uh, which uh, Khrushchev would uh, spend uh, the next several years trying to repair. Um, he was also hampered by the fact that that China um, disapproved of Yugoslavia's reformist socialism and attempts to um, and, and attempts to sort of improve relations with Yugoslavia uh, angered China. Uh-oh. So after after completing uh, the takeover of mainland China in 1949. 
uh, Mao Zedong thought uh, would seek material assistance from the Soviet Union and also called for the return of uh, re- the return to China of territories taken from China by Russia under the czars. Um, as Khrushchev came into control of the Soviet Union, he increased aid to China, even sending a small uh, a small group of experts to help develop the new um, uh, the the new uh, sort of country of the People's Republic of China. Wait, wait, sorry, sorry. I, I feel like I kind of like glazed over that for a second. You, did you say that Mao Zedong sought help from Russia, but in the same breath was also like, and also give me my shit back? Well, yeah, they, it, it was <laughs> essentially a dude. That is a ballsy. Dude. That's a ballsy guy to do that. I need well, your help it, and also give me my shit back, or else. <laughs> well, it's it's just sort of part of the because uh, the Soviet Union never took the land; it was taken under the czars. So okay. it was just sort of like in the spirit of since we're being in the spirit of anti-imperialism, you know, like maybe you should give us back the land that we lost. <laughs> it's bold. It's a bold strategy, and I, I appreciate it played out well for them. I'm assuming, yeah. Um, well, the the land not so much, but um, ah. but uh, Khrushchev does give a great amount of aid. Um, as historian William C. Kirby describes it as the greatest transfer of technology in world history. Um, the Soviet Union would spend seven percent of its national income between 1954 and 1959 on aid to China. Goddamn! During his 1954 visit to China, uh, Khrushchev agreed to return Port Arthur and Dalian to China. Though Khrushchev was annoyed at Mao's assistance that they leave their um, that they leave the the Soviet artillery there as they departed. Hmm. Um, so so he, he does just want the land. He's also like, yeah, you, you should also leave all your military equipment there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this guy, he's got nuts, man. <laughs> he's got some fucking balls. That's on one him. thing um, he's got. Yeah. Uh, Mao was uh, very opposed to Khrushchev's attempts to seek uh, detente and rapprochement. With um, with more uh, liberal Eastern European states such as Yugoslavia, um, and Khrushchev's government, though on the other hand, was also reluctant to endorse uh, uh, Mao's desires for a a worldwide revolutionary movement, um, preferring to uh, preferring to defeat capitalism through um, sort of like technology and raising the standard of living than through an actual like armed insurrection as Mao wanted. Okay. Um, relations between the two countries would begin to cool in 1956 as Mao is angered by the secret speech and by the fact that um, that he and, and, and no one within China, uh, the Chinese leadership, had been consulted in advance about the secret speech. Why would they have to consult China? It has nothing to do with China. Well, it does because all of them are following the same model of communism. And Stalin believes, or I should say Mao believes that de-Stalinization is a mistake and also a threat to his own authority. Ah, there we go. Because, That's why because, he's upset. There it is. Because when, when Khrushchev actively attacks Stalin, he's also attacking Mao because Mao uses the same system. Mm-hmm. Um, so when Khrushchev visits Beijing in 1958, uh, Mao refuses all of his proposals for military cooperation. Um, and also hoping to uh, sabotage uh, Khrushchev's uh, attempts at detente with the U.S., <clears throat> uh, Mao uh, provokes the second Taiwan Strait crisis, um, describing the Taiwanese islands shelled in the strait as, quote-unquote, batons that keep Eisenhower and Khrushchev dancing, scurrying this way and that. Don't you see how wonderful they are? Wait, there was. this is the second time that Taiwan was bombed? Well, there's, I, I believe there's four Taiwan Strait crises. Jesus Christ. Yeah. 
what can I do for you? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, but Mao essentially does that one as like a, uh, as an attempt to just like fuck with Khrushchev. Let's just make I have a lot of, of blind spots in my history, in my historical like knowledge and understanding of things, and in like Asia, in that whole area, in the history. Yeah, yeah, that's great. History, Steve, what's the Chinese for? I'm just funning. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's um, seriously thinking about it. <laughs> I could probably pull it out somewhere. Um. So the. The Soviets, as well, had planned to provide China with an atomic bomb, complete with full documentation on its operation. But in uh, 1959, as their relations begin to cool, uh, the Soviets destroy the device and the papers instead. So what you do first is you, you point bomb at thing you want dead. Also, let me call my cousin. He lives in Queens. He's got the basement. It's where he stores his uranium. But, <laughs> Who but, are you but talking about, and why are you going to get investigated after this episode? <laughs> Good God. But, you keep saying a basement in New York. Stop well, being guess specific. What? I don't live in New York. Make your jokes My basement's more vague. Not, listen, the basement in New York, New York can get raided. I don't live in New York. Yeah, I don't even point. have a basement. That's true. <laughs> so part of the, the reason why they're doing this is that um, they're, they're essentially giving the, uh, the, the Chinese all they need to build their own atomic weapons. Right. Like They're, like they're giving them a working model and like all the paperwork. Yeah. Like um, so, so when Khrushchev visits China in uh, September of 1959, after his uh, visit to the U.S., he receives a chilly reception, and uh, Khrushchev would uh, leave the country on the third day of his planned seven-day visit. Uh, relations would continue to deteriorate in 1960, as both the Soviet Union and China would use a um, would use the Romanian Communist Party Congress as an opportunity to attack each other. Mm. Um, after uh, Khrushchev attacked China in a speech to the Congress, uh, the Chinese leader uh, Peng Jun uh, would uh, mock Khrushchev, stating that the premier's foreign policy was to blow hot and cold towards the West. Um, Khrushchev would respond to this by pulling uh, the Soviet experts out of China. I feel um, like this is like high school shit. Is really what it sounds like in the um, in in this sort of. Um, a conflict between the two, Albania would side with China, pulling them out of sort of the Soviet sphere of influence and making them more aligned with China. Yeah, this is definitely just high school drama shit. It's just played out on an international scale. Um, after um, and, and as well in, in Africa, uh, the Soviet Union would give uh, considerable amounts of aid to the newly uh, the newly independent uh, states of Ghana and Guinea. Was there ever a concern that Russia and China were going to go to war at this time? Um, much later in like the the late sixties, there was actually beliefs that they could have they could have gone to war. There were border skirmishes. Uh, allegedly, Henry Kissinger was approached at a party by a oh, member of the Christ by, by <laughs> a, this fucking dickhead <laughs> by by a member of the Soviet Union because at the time he was the the um, Secretary of State and it was just sort of feeling out how the U.S. would respond to a nuclear attack from the Soviet Union He's on still China. Alive fucking ridiculous and uh and uh kissinger was like uh that that's not good <laughs> every time someone says he's alive still um i feel like they're they're bruno tatalia from the godfather you know <laughs> it's just insane the dude is like 342 business years old it is ridiculous. a billion shots and he's still alive how that's how, bad news for for me and even bad just, for you i'm just so mad that 
it's like death can't seem to gra- can grab everybody else. No pressure. The good people, the bad people you want to see go. The good people you don't want to see go. The young, the old. But Kissinger's it's not, bitch ass is still alive. It's not. It's not <laughs> fair. It's just a surety. That's all. Oh um, God, I can't wait. So Jesus Christ, the- <laughs> he's gonna outlive us all. <laughs> So the the Soviet uh, the Soviet Union sees uh, countries like Ghana and Guinea as being um, good sort of uh, places to try quote unquote a socialist model of development um, because these former colonies are very dependent on economic cooperation with a foreign power. So as they lose uh, as they sort of break away from their old European masters, the Soviet Union believes that by sort of uh, becoming entwined with the Soviet economy that they could sort of develop communism within these states um, and sort of make them examples to the rest of the third world of what communism can accomplish. Um, this is sort of seen as being more um, more desirable than say um, other uh, nations that were somewhat friendly to the Soviet Union like Egypt and Indonesia. Because these countries were more capable of sort of like ind- like economic independence. Right. Um, this project, though, was a failure. Um, and a lot of the lessons that were learned during it, though, uh, would, uh, would influence Soviet foreign policy towards Africa in the following decades. Um, as well, uh, the Soviet Union's sort of uh, ineptitude during the Congo crisis, uh, where it uh, failed to prevent um, the newly independent Republic of Congo from descending into chaos... Um, and have, um, having a military intervention by Western powers, which we talked about, uh, led to a um, led to a cooling of relations between Ghana and Guinea. Because remember, when we talked about Patrice Lumumba, um, Ghana was very much invested in Lumumba's government, and by the Soviet Union just sort of leaving him out to dry, um, just just sort of allowed you know him to be cooed and murdered. Um, but the Soviet Union would eventually, their, their, one of their schools, the, the engineering school for foreign students, would be called the Patrice Lumumba School. Huh. Um, so they at least named a school after <laughs> I mean, and I remember so, his episode, too, and that's, oof, oof. So, so sorry, uh, we named school after him. Great hero. <laughs> Loved him. Wish wish I could have been there. <laughs> um, uh, in March of 1964, um. Uh, Supreme Soviet Presidium Chairman and nominal head of state Leonid Brezhnev uh, begins plotting Khrushchev's removal with his colleagues. Um, Initially, Brezhnev considers having Khrushchev arrested as he returned from a trip to Scandinavia in June of 1964, Um, but uh, he instead spent that time persuading members of the Central Committee to support the ousting of Khrushchev, uh, remembering how uh, crucial uh, the committee's support had been to Khrushchev uh, defeating the um his opponents when he came to power you get more flies with honey than with vinegar as they always say yeah um brezhnev having uh ample time to develop his conspiracy um due to khrushchev being absent from moscow for a total of five months between january and september of 1964 okay um these conspirators led by brezhnev uh first deputy uh premier alexander uh Shlipin and kgb chairman uh, vladimir uh, Semachansny um, uh, would uh, strike in October of 1964 while Khrushchev was on va- vacation at uh, uh, Pitsunda uh, Abkhaz um, with his friend uh, and presidium colleague um, Anastas uh, Mikoyan. On October 12th, uh, Brezhnev called Khrushchev to notify him of a special presidia meeting to be held the following day, um, uh, which was uh, which was on the subject of agriculture. 
Um, even though uh, Khrushchev suspected the real reason of the meeting um, was to overthrow him, he still flew to Moscow accompanied by the head of the Georgian KGB, Alexei um, Inari, and, and, um, and took no other precautions. Uh, Khrushchev arrived at the VIP hall of uh, Vunakovo Airport, where KGB chairman uh, Semachansky, um, uh waited for him there, uh, flanked by uh, KGB security guards. Uh, Semachansky informed Khrushchev of his ouster and told him not to resist. Uh, Khrushchev did not resist, and the potter's coup went off smoothly. Uh, Khrushchev felt betrayed by Semachansky as he considered him a friend and ally until that very until the moment of his betrayal, not suspecting that he had joined um, his enemies. Uh, Khrushchev was taken to the Kremlin, where he was verbally attacked by Brezhnev, uh, Suslov, and, and Shalipin. It sounds like the um, three fucking stooges. <laughs> they are. Yeah, man, you should have heard what Shemp told him. It was just, it was very bitter. <laughs> I can, I can understand why he wasn't in all the shorts. Well, Shemp, it's, like um, it's like the, it's like the Russian three stooges. It doesn't. <laughs> um, Khrushchev, though, had no real desire to, to fight and put up little resistance. Um, uh, Semachansky was very careful not to create the appearance of a coup. Um, he said, um, I didn't even close the Kremlin to visitors. People were strolling around outside while in the room the Presidium was meeting. I deployed my men around the Kremlin. Everything that was necessary was done. Brezhnev and Shalipin were nervous. I told them, let's not do anything that isn't necessary. Let's not create the appearance of a coup. Even though, uh, effectively, it was a coup. Yes. Um, but they, they they don't want people to become like panicked or whatever, or, right. or possibly a counter coup to develop. Right. Um, that night, after being ousted, uh, Khrushchev called uh, Mikoyan and told him, "I'm old and tired. Let them uh, cope by themselves. I've done the main thing. Could anyone have dreamed of telling Stalin that he didn't suit us anymore and suggesting he retire? Not even a wet spot would have remained where we had been standing. Now everything is different. The fear is gone, and we can talk as equals." That's my contribution. I won't put up a fight. On October 14, 1964, the Presidium and the Central Committee each voted to accept Khrushchev's uh, voluntary request to retire from his offices for the purposes of, quote-unquote, advanced age and ill health. Huge quotation marks over voluntary request. Yes. Huge quotation marks. Uh, Brezhnev is elected first secretary, and later becoming general secretary, while Alexei uh, Kosygin... Uh, succeeded Khrushchev as premier. Uh, Khrushchev was granted a pension of 500 rubles per month and was given a house, a dacha, and a car. 500 rubles a month? That sounds incredibly low, but it, it might just be that doesn't translate well to like dollars, you know? I think I think it was pretty well because uh, they they also reduce it. Um, so after after <laughs> his removal, he he became uh, deeply depressed. I'm sorry, did you say they reduce it? They, they yeah. take away. It's only 500 rubles, bro. Uh, he would uh, fall into a deep depression. You can't even buy he received. Pizza with that. He received. Uh, yeah, they they just gave him just under the cost of a uh, of a large, uh, <laughs> a large Domino's pie. pizza. Yeah. <laughs> now he can. Oh, he can uh, shit. It's so sweet. They must put the sugar. He could only it. afford uh, hungry Dimitris. You know. <laughs> he's just. He's, <laughs> it tastes like cardboard. Oh, it is cardboard. I can only go oh. to hungry howitzers. I cannot eat from pizza. <laughs> <laughs> Just make sure to get the cheesy bread. Hungry Hawkin. Um he uh he would receive few vi- uh, uh few visitors after his retirement. 
um, uh, mainly due to the fact that uh, security guards uh, kept track of all of his guests and reported their comings and goings. His pension would later be reduced to 400 rubles per month. Oh, my um, God. Though, uh, <laughs> though, though this was considered uh, very comfortable by Soviet standards. What? <laughs> what? You, 400 rubles a month is comfortable? I guess by, like, 1964 standards. Like you know, he's not, he's not paying rent. Like, grocery shopping in the Soviet Union costs, like, what, a, a ruble and a half for, like, a week's worth of food? It, it, like, it can't, what? Um, uh, one of his grandsons was asked what his grandfather was doing in retirement, and the boy, recried, uh, the boy uh, replied, uh, grandfather cries. Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, oh. Khrushchev, Khrushchev was made a non-person. Uh, within the Soviet Union to such an extent that the 30-volume Great Soviet Encyclopedia omitted his name from the list of prominent political commissars during the Great Patriotic War. Holy shit. Um, as um, as the new rulers uh, began to become more conservative in, um, in their treatment of the arts, uh, Khrushchev came to be uh, viewed more favorably by artists and writers, and some of whom would visit him. Uh, one visitor uh, whom uh, Khrushchev regretted not seeing was uh, Vice President Richard Nixon, uh, then uh, sort of out of office before his election um, uh, to the presidency, who went to Khrushchev's Moscow apartment uh, while Khrushchev was at his dacha. I did not see that coming. <laughs> in uh, Beginning in 1966, uh, Khrushchev began writing his memoirs. Um, he initially uh, tried to dictate them into a, a tape recorder while outdoors, um, in order to prevent the KGB from eavesdropping on him. Um, these attempts failed due to background noise, so he switched to recording indoors. Um, the KGB made no attempt to interfere uh, until 1968, when Khrushchev was ordered to hand over his tapes, which he refused to do. Uh-oh. Uh, while Khrushchev was hospitalized with heart ailments, his son Sergei was approached by the KGB in July of 1970 and told that there was a plot afoot by Western agents to steal the memoirs. Uh, Sergei Khrushchev handed over the materials to the KGB since the uh, KGB could steal the originals if they wanted to anyways, uh, but copies of it had been made and some of them had been transmitted to a Western publisher. Um, Sergei instructed that the smuggled memoirs should be uh, published, which uh, were in 1970 under the title Khrushchev Remembers. Oh, Jesus, that's a <laughs> that's an Oscar contender right there when you turn it into a movie. Under um, Under pressure... Uh, Khrushchev signed a statement that he had not given the materials to any publisher, and his son was transferred to a less desirable job. Did they know that it was his kid, I guess? I, I, I believe they 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 strongly believed, but I guess they couldn't prove it, and they didn't want to make like a big deal out of it. Gotcha. Um, uh, upon their publication in the West, um, is uh, Vestia denounced them as a fraud. Uh, Soviet state radio carried the announcement of Khrushchev's statement that it was the first time in six years that he had ever been mentioned in that medium. In the Great Soviet Encyclopedia, Khrushchev was given a short characterization, quote-unquote, as a leader, Khrushchev showed signs of subjectivism and volunteerism. Um, in his final days, uh, Khrushchev would visit his son-in-law and former aide Alexei um, Adjubey, um, and told them, never regret that you lived in stormy times and worked with me in the Central Committee. We will yet be remembered. 
Khrushchev died of a heart attack around noon in the Kremlin Hospital in Moscow on September 11th, 1971, at the age of 77. I'm sorry, was, what was the date of that? September 11th. What did he know? <laughs> His final words. Jet fuel cannot melt. <laughs> Steel. Oh. <laughs> I have information about Hillary Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Khrushchev was denied a state funeral with internment in the Kremlin Wall. It was instead buried in Nova Devechi uh, Cemetery in Moscow. Uh, fearing that there would be demonstrations, the authorities did not announce his death until the hour of his wake, which would be held in a morgue in the southern suburbs of Moscow and surround and the surrounded cemetery. And they surrounded the cemetery with troops. Was um, there was there anything that happened or not? Um, even though they did this, uh, some artists and writers joined the Khrushchev family at the gravesite for the internment. Uh, Pravda ran a one-sentence announcement of his death. Western newspapers contained considerable coverage. A veteran New York Times Moscow correspondent, Harry Schwartz, wrote of Khrushchev, Mr. Khrushchev opened the doors and windows of a petrified structure. He let in fresh air and fresh ideas, producing changes which time already has shown are irreversible and fundamental. Um, many of Khrushchev's innovations, though, were reversed after his fall. Uh, the requirement that one-third of officials be replaced at each election was overturned, as was the division and party structure between industrial and agricultural sectors. His vocational education program for high school students was dropped, and his plan for sending existing agricultural institutions out to the land was ended. They got rid of the um, educational program, dude. Fucked. Uh, um, but despite this... Um, New agricultural and vocational institutions uh, were located outside major cities to ensure that, you know, people were getting proper agricultural uh, educations. Uh, when new housing was built, uh, much of it was in the form of high rises rather than the low rise structures that were popular during Khrushchev's reign, uh, which lacked elevators and balconies. The historian Robert Service summarized Khrushchev's contradictory personality traits um, by saying, uh, at once a Stalinist and an anti-Stalinist, a communist believer and a cynic, a self-publicizing poltroon and a crusty philanthropist, Damn. a troublemaker and a peacemaker, a stimulating colleague and domineering bore, a statesman and politicker who was out of his intellectual depth. Oh, damn, bro. Roasted. <laughs> um, Khrushchev's agricultural projects were also overturned. Uh, corn became so unpopular in 1965 that its planting fell to the lowest level in the post-war period, as even uh, coal causes, which had been successful uh, growing corn in Ukraine and other uh, southern parts of the Soviet Union, refused to plant it. Um, our boy Trofim Lysenko was stripped of his policy-making oh, positions. Oh, no. No, bro, what? They got my boy Trofim. Um, and the, uh, the machine tractor stations would remain closed. Um, uh, despite this, and basic agricultural problems which uh, Khrushchev had tried to address, uh, would remain. While the Soviet standard of living increased greatly in the 10 years after Khrushchev's fall from power, much of the increase was due to industrial progress. Agricultural continued to lag far behind, resulting in regular, uh, regular agricultural crises, um, especially in 1972 and 1975. So is that where we get the, the joke about like bread lines and the Soviet Union being poor and can't eat anything? Uh, partially, uh, other reasons just go into the massive corruption, uh, corruption that occurs in the 80s. Oh, okay. 
there the essentially the Soviet Union by the end of Brezhnev's reign becomes so so corrupt and so um just just so um unable to like reform itself in a positive way like not even talking about moving away from communism but just sort of making sure things work properly and people aren't skimming things mm-hmm. that um by the time Gorbachev comes into power his reforms really do nothing wow. Jesus okay um so uh Brezhnev and his successors continued um the uh, Khrushchev's precedent of uh, buying grain from the West rather than suffer from shortfalls and starvation. Um, neither Brezhnev nor his colleagues were uh, personally popular, and the uh, and this new government would rely on authoritarian power to um, to remain in power. Um, in order to do this, the KGB and the Red Army were given increasing powers, and the government's conservative tendencies would lead to the crushing of the Prague Spring in 1968. Because all which, this always goes over well whenever countries do this shit. Mm-hmm. Which was which was a very similar type of liberalization in the in Czechoslovakia that resulted in a, another Soviet intervention and crackdown. Right. Because if you're not popular, the the correct thing to do is double down and really just put the boot on the neck. Because again, great idea. Though uh, Khrushchev's strategy had ultimately failed to achieve a lot of his major goals. Uh, uh, an historian, Alexander uh, Fresenko, uh, who wrote a book on Khrushchev's foreign and military policies, argued that his strategy did coerce the West in a limited manner. Um, he said, that, for instance, that the agreement with the United States that they would not invade Cuba was adhered to, and also the refusal of the Western world to acknowledge East Germany was gradually eroded over time, and in 1975, the United States and other NATO members signed the Helsinki Agreement with the Soviet Union and Warsaw Pact nations, including East Germany, which set human rights standards for Europe. Um, within Russia, the public's view of Khrushchev remains mixed to this day. Mm. According, according to a, a major uh, Russian pollster, the only eras of the 20th century that Russians in the 21st century evaluate positively are those under the Tsar Nicholas II and under Khrushchev. That's interesting, too, because they're like wildly different people. Um, a poll in 1998 of young Russians found that they felt Nicholas II had done uh, more good than harm. In all other 20th century Russian leaders, more harm than good, except for Khrushchev, about whom they were evenly divided. Imagine meeting people who were like, you know who's really good? Reagan. And then who also was really good? Obama. Wait, 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 wait. what the fuck? Yeah, that would <laughs> be very odd. What the fuck did you say? <laughs> yeah, that'd be extremely odd. I was going to say, when you said Reagan, I was like, welcome to fucking family dinner in the 90s, you know? And but then, then you throw you sprinkle a little bomb and I'm like, what? whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> can, can we talk about this? Can you, I need I, we need to have a long discussion? I don't even know Khrushchev. anyone but like hyper liberals who would say something like that. Like, and you know, I'm pretty liberal. <laughs> I voted for Obama twice, so it's like you know. Uh, a Khrushchev biographer William Thompson um, uh, sort of uh, summarized uh, Khrushchev's ref- uh, reforms as. Uh, throughout the Brezhnev years and the lengthy interregnum that followed, the generation which had come of age during this first Russian spring of the 1950s awaited its turn in power. As Brezhnev and his colleagues died or were pensioned off, they were replaced by men and women for whom the secret speech and the first wave of destalinization had been a formative experience. And these children of 20th, uh, of 20th Congress took up the reins of power under the leadership of Mikhail Gorbachev and his colleagues. The Khrushchev era provided the second generation of reformers with both an inspiration and a cautionary tale. 
And that, boys, is the story of one La Femme Nikita Khrushchev. La Femme Nikita Khrushchev. <laughs> Just another man that eventually died and was rubbed out of pictures by Stalin. And was just, to the, his dying day, just completely upset he could not visit Disneyland to get himself a pair of Mickey Mouse ears. I think we, I think we also got our, uh, our episode picture. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, nah, fucking way, I'm not, I'm not doing that. <laughs> anyway, uh, on that note, on that note, good night. Good night. Goodbye.